Hi, I'm Tom Sherrington. And I'm Emma Turner. Welcome to our new show, Mind the Gap, Making Education Work Across the Globe, where we talk about closing gaps in global education through proven strategies and research-based practices. You'll hear our individual unique perspectives, as well as interviews with some of the most compelling authors and thinkers in the pre-K to 12 ecosystem. And now, enjoy today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe with me, Emma Turner, and Tom Sherrington. Today, we're going to be talking about our interview that we did recently with Doug Lamov, and then we'll be talking about things that we've been asked most frequently recently and also what we've been reading. So, hello, Tom. Hello, Emma. How are you? Very well, thank you. Still in the midst of homeschooling three small children and trying to work, so feeling a little jaded, but not unlike a lot of people out there, I shouldn't think. Um, how are you? Yeah, very good. I think right at the moment, lots of people are uh, dominated by remote learning, and I'm doing quite a lot of stuff providing some support around that. Um, but I don't have to do what you do, which is to have my own children deliver- delivering homeschooling. So that's, that's quite a big challenge. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is a challenge, but helped by a lot of the advice that we had from Doug when we interviewed him the other week, um, especially from his book, Teaching in the Online Classroom. So what have you been thinking about since we interviewed Doug then, Tom? Well, I, I actually think that it's probably the education book I've been most excited about reading before it's come out that I can remember, Teach Like a Champion 3.0. And it sounds like Doug has really sat back and taken stock of the first two and 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 is really sort of in it so when we spoke to him it was like he was deep in the book and um he's trying to sort of reframe some some ideas so they're slightly more appealing to people um but i just came away from this feeling that he he's just one of the, the best people i think we have in education for for getting the right balance of strategy with spirit and this kind of real zeal for for making all children succeed I, I I just loved it I thought it was amazing I must admit I've referenced that interview three four times within the last couple of days um things that he said things that he kind of pointed us in the direction of um it was amazing how much he actually covered in that relatively short space of time which also he not only teach like a champion I think he's like speak like a champion because I remember pretty much everything he said he's like some kind of verbal magician <laughs> yeah no he's, he's he's you can tell he's really um steeped in this thing of not just sort of talking about generic ideas and hoping teachers pick them up he he, he really wants it to be uh, something which teachers really understand and actually deliver so he really pays attention to the language the way things are received and he's quite receptive to the idea that the way you interpret things might be different so he quite he picked up on a couple of our interpretations like i was talking about uh, the way i see check for understanding being sort of students checking each other's and he said oh he didn't you know he he think oh that's interesting because i think of it as the teacher checking but and he was making notes from you from your ideas as well it's great so he's really open to stuff i thought it was brilliant yeah it's he's work that he was talking about that feedback really resonated with me as well because the whole dissolve the screen thing which he talks about but also this um how we assess children and how we do afl through a screen at the moment i thought was absolutely fascinating and when he was talking about um humans and the whites of the eyes being mm-hmm. how we 
actually get feedback and if we have cameras off then we're, we're kind of losing that whole human element of our feedback systems I have thought about that I have read about that I've shared that with so many people because it's not I love the fact that he doesn't just draw on classroom practice he draws on so many elements from yeah. um, so many dis- different disciplines so many different subject areas you know that he's not just about teaching and learning he's about the whole human experience of education so I found him absolutely Utterly, utterly engrossing. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and there was something like we asked him early on because it's it's interesting to me and frustrating to me that there are people who perceive Teach Like a Champion as some kind of control device system which kind of suppresses people. And, you know, a lot of the stuff was revisited after Black Lives Matter and, and the way that the KIPP schools had kind of responded with some of their language. But he was kind of at the same time as saying, you know, he hasn't got a lot of time for people who don't want kids to, to to succeed in tough schools, but also saying, but they were looking at some of the things that they were saying. So some of the language like like slant, which winds some people up, they're going to call it something different. They're going to call it something like habits of attention or something. So it's as well as sort of saying, no, look, we believe in this stuff. He's also saying, OK, but we're hearing what you're saying. And maybe there's no point in you resisting this and, and they're not doing it. It's better that you find a way in to engage with it and then you're more likely to deliver it so I thought I think that's 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 intelligent it's sensitive and um yeah and renaming things if it helps it is it's powerful I think I, I was massively surprised at just Doug's demeanor as well I don't know what I expected but it definitely wasn't a very quiet very humble very gentle soul I expected because I don't know whether it's because it's got champion in the title I just kind of expected this big slick corporate big voice and actually it was so lovely to to see that the voice and the the person behind the writing is actually so genuinely like you say kind of rooted in the both the teaching and learning bit but the, the really caring about kids as well I was I think that's what blew me away most of all was he wasn't what I expected at all <laughs> no I I, I've met him um, just one, once before in a, an event in England. It's quite a few years ago, actually. But um, he's just so humble, and I love that. And also, like in his writing, and and in, he 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 references he like he champions his own teachers, but really well. So when when he's talking about a strategy, he'll say, so for example, you know, look at look at um, Josiah here teaching his grade fives. Look how he does this. Look how he does that. And he 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 sort of defers to them as the practitioners rather than saying, I do this and I do that. He doesn't use himself as the exemplar. Yeah, so it's great. And I think people will love the interview. I can't wait to, to watch you back, actually. And, um, you know, his, and the book, though, I mean, it's got to be the book of the year. Um, it's going to be Teach Like a Champion 3.0. I, I can't wait to read it. Oh, uh, well, we've had a kind of a sneaky peek already, and it is an absolute gem. It's beautiful. Absolutely. We should say, and uh, it's, it's just quickly, is to say that the coaching book, the... Um, the, the co- <laughs> we, we're going to have him on again as, a, as another guest to talk just more directly about his book for coaches, which is actually about coaching sports teams using some ideas from from teaching. But that's a kind of a whole other thing. We didn't really get into that. So let, let's let's one of the things we're going to do in this program is uh, talk about kind of ideas that we share um, with with the, in our work, and we all get asked questions a lot. <laughs> by people which are, are occurring and and so those tell you when, when you get asked the same thing lots of times it tells you that it's a it's a common issue so what's the thing that you've been asked most about recently um it's 
It's mostly about early career teachers. It's about how early career teachers are um, are going to be supported once we're kind of back to some version of education that resembles something that we used to do. Um, because obviously our ITT, our initial teacher training colleagues at the moment, have had a, the most disrupted year ever. They potentially were based in classrooms from September, but then from sort of Christmas onwards, a lot of them haven't been in a physical classroom. Um, and in, even our NQTs, our newly qualified teachers, with all the disruption last year in their training year, they missed sort of the summer, the bulk of the summer term, and have then in their NQT year this year potentially only had one full term in a in a normal classroom. So the questions that I'm getting asked are about uh, how we support early career teachers over the next few years. Now, the national rollout of the early career framework will go some way to supporting early career teachers because they can access the resources that are on on the on the sites. They can do the independent study. They can do the reading. They can do the um, they can do the activities associated with those. But really, it's about schools recognizing that our early career teachers have had such a disrupted start. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be bad teachers. These are really qualified professionals who have stuck the course, you know, stuck the dis- gone the distance in when it would have been easy to kind of step away. So these are very dedicated professionals. But it's about highlighting that need for increased mentoring opportunities, increased opportunities to observe the teaching of others and increase support not just in their kind of first or second year their NQT or RQT year but potentially extending that a bit longer throwing that net a bit wider in terms of opportunity because actually we're going to have a whole swathe of early career professionals who haven't got a massive amount of day-to-day classroom practice so I think school leaders need to be really aware of that increased need for mentoring, that increased need for, and you'll like this, instructional coaching, Tom. Yeah, good. (laughs) When they get back into school. But also for early career teachers, just to reassure them that you're all in the same boat. You're not kind of on your own with this. And there is a national awareness. It's such a weird job, isn't it? Imagine, it's hard to really imagine what it's like to, to have come into the profession at this time. But, you know, I, I spoke to a group of people on last week on a, on a, a training session. I was invited to talk to this group in, in England called uh, Now Teach. And they're, they're a charity which that promotes um, teachers coming into the profession in late careers. So they, they've had a career and now they're coming to teaching. So a lot of these people are in their 40s and 50s and, and they're in like tough inner city schools. But they're doing it online. And some, some of the people I spoke to, they're, they're shell-shocked. Oh, my God. Like... Here I'm sort of 55 and I'm, I'm on camera, I'm online talking to a bunch of 15-year-olds who don't really want to be there. It's so <laughs> hard. I just thought how amazing to have joined teaching at this weird time yeah. it, at that age. I thought I was so, uh, you know, hats off to these people. Amazing. And, and it's for any early career teacher at the moment to have signed up to join a profession and that profession kind of do a complete 180 and yeah. be not what you expect. You know, you expect it to be in a room surrounded by young people all day. And actually what you are doing is sitting on your own, learning in a way which nobody really knows how to do, hasn't mastered yet because we're so, so um, early on in the process, in the midst of a national, you know, global pandemic. I think the f- fact that those early career teachers are still in post, still in, you know, still going 
going at it, um, so to speak, is just unbelievable. Yeah. And I think it's awesome. Brilliant. Really good. That's all. So what have you been being asked then, Tom? What you mean, apart from how do I, you know, use Google Classroom for my <laughs> online lessons? <laughs> yeah, literally, it, it's funny. It's um, I am asked more than anything about about um, remote learning, obviously. But we did our, our last show like this was all about that, so I won't go into that. But apart from that, the main thing I'm asked about is um, is sort of this time of the year, which where we're partway through a year. People are sort of thinking, is it worth me launching something new? Is it worth me? try to develop teachers and carry on our, our professional learning or um shall i you know should, should we wait and that i'm asked that a lot because because in my work I'm, I'm working with people to try to implement teacher development systems and i think it's a really interesting dilemma so my, my what i'm saying to people is um i actually think it's a mistake to um sort of pretend that the situation we're in now isn't happening it just is and so you know, you're just going to be throwing stuff onto stony ground. It won't really stick. And the best thing you can do now is just get people through it, focusing on the thing that's right in front of them, which is just teaching day to day. And to use it to buy time. So I'm, I'm finding this is actually quite um, a useful thing because one of the things that sometimes teachers don't find the time for and school leaders is thinking like beyond the immediate. So it's almost like an opportunity to, to say, well, here we are, it's February. September, the new school year is actually a few months away. And instead of like trying to mess it up now and bumble it through, just think about September and use this time as like a sort of really nice lead in time so that when you come back to hopefully some kind of normal in September, you're kind of right ready to roll and in your and to use it as a as a window of opportunity, really. That's my that's my um my the main thing I'm asked most about. Because but I think that's a fascinating challenge people have got is trying to balance the short term with the long term. And still, despite all the challenges, still wanting to invest in their in their staff development and, and, and putting that a high priority. That's the thing I, I have conversations about it every day, really, is where to get started, what should I be doing next? And but that, and I can see why people then um, are interested. But yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that more more later on. Okay. People are just hungry for ideas uh, and uh, you know suggestions about what what to do and constantly re- referencing what's the best practice here and what's the best practice there for like professional learning. You're listening to Mind the Gap, presented by John Cat Educational. Over the past six decades, John Cat has supported teachers and school leaders with research-based, easy-to-use professional development books for the entire faculty. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com in the United States or johncatbookshop.com or elsewhere across the globe to find the latest titles. Which brings us on to the next thing. What's, what's, what have you been reading recently? You, you're, you're always, your, your bookshelves are... <laughs> educational tone oh, i what have been reading a john cat book by michael charles which is called the feedback pendulum and i interviewed him for something the other day what a lovely man um but i read this and i came to it with a complete misconception that it was just going to be about more about feedback in the classroom i genuinely thought that was what it was going to be i thought it was going to be right okay uh, this is going to be another kind of rehashed version of marking and verbal feedback. I could not have been more wrong. Michael, T- have you read this? Not, I've read the previous one, which was called... Um, craft of Assessment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This, craft of Assessment. Where craft is an acronym, C-R-A-F-T. 
Well, this one takes the idea of feedback and expands it to include feedback from uh, teacher to student, student to teacher, from teachers to other teachers, teachers to leaders, leaders to teachers, from teachers to parents, from schools to schools. It takes the whole idea of what constitutes great feedback and looks at it through an absolutely kind of massively broad spectrum. And I was completely hooked when I started reading it. And he he says some things in there which are really, really straightforward, like the power of the feedback is only as powerful as kind of the action that you take afterwards. And we were when I was talking to him, we were talking about if you don't give time to action feedback, it's like cooking somebody a beautiful, nutritious dinner and then never letting them eat it. <laughs> it's like that, you know, that's that's really clever. Um, but he totally opened my eyes to what the word feedback actually means and how feedback is dependent on so many other things within your school that you can't have effective feedback systems without really good behavior for learning that really good classroom management you can't have really good feedback without really positive whole school culture you can't have really and it's again they're they're all things that you kind of know but have never been put in one place at one time and and it's really you'll like it because it's absolutely full of academic references as well Tom it's very it's very I'm going to read it it it, because for for me feedback is something which I've been thinking a lot one one of the things I think is interesting is the psychology of receiving the feedback and of course you need to encourage people to be open to it but also I think that's that's something which is sometimes assumed so for example, I, I did an event last week uh, online to, to delivering a train to a school, and they just written, emailed me today saying, you know, we've gathered some feedback and we'll send you the comments later this week. And I just think, no, I don't want it. I, I don't, because I'm never going to do that talk again to, in that situation to those people. And I can't do it better next time because there wasn't going to be a next time. So it's pointless. I don't want to hear that, you know, James and Susanna, you know, in the in the languages department, thought my talk was a bit irrelevant for them. I, I can't, I can't uh, use that information. It's like I don't want to know that. So, but also, I think that's something about lessons. So, I, I remember, you know, we've all had our own experiences. I can remember feedback from a lesson I I had recently. Well, not recently, but the last time someone came to watch my lesson, where they sort of gave me, um some feedback where I just thought was totally re- irrelevant. I just thought you've had to think of something to say yeah. and, I'm, and I'm not going to use that. So I'm just going to reject about, it. This is what I talked about in the book and when I interviewed him as well, about the whole culture of giving feedback and receiving feedback. Uh, and we talked about when you need to give feedback and when you don't as well, because um, we were saying how exhausting it is to be in a culture where everything you do gets fed back on. <laughs> so actually... Um, when you do feedback and why you do feedback is as important as the how and also thinking about how it's received so he calls it a manifesto for enhancing feedback in education I would definitely recommend it to kind of revisit your preconceptions about about what feedback actually is but that that's what I've been reading what have you been reading Tom? Well, it just reminded me of something I, I, I've read, reread recently, which is the Paul um, Bambricks and Toyo book, Leverage Leadership, because I reference that a lot in my work. And it's, there's a great chapter in there. And I'm just going to mention it again now, uh, chapter three about feedback and how you, you set up systems where you, know, you sit down with a teacher when you've observed them. And any notes you've made are, are not to, for you to relay to that person. They're for you to have to inform your discussion with that person. And I think that's a massive thing. Like, um, 
so when I'm talking to you, I'm not going to share everything I wrote. Um, I'm just going to ask you about your lesson and we're going to construct some action steps to move forward. And to me, that's just like, it's, it's the way it should be. But whenever you're in a position of authority and you're observing someone, you, you don't presume to judge. You presume to be there to support. And then the best person to kind of engineer the action steps is that teacher. And you support them to come to a realisation about the things that they could do better. And if they if they have that all, you know, coming out of their, their minds themselves, then that's that's the best scenario. So for me, I, I would recommend any leader re- read that because it makes you think, here's me with my clipboard filling in my pro forma. Actually, I really shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> and I really think that's the shift we should be making. But the, the book I'm, more, I'm most inspired by that's, that's current is... Um, I can't show you a picture of it, but John Tomset has just finished um, the latest in the series of in-action books, um, which is called Cognitive Apprenticeship in Action. And it's coming out in late February, I think, um, it, with John Catt. And w- I love it for lots of reasons. One of them is um, that it was John's idea to kind of build on the, the rose and shine in, in uh, principles book that I wrote to sort of do lots of other papers so he's written this he's read this fantastic paper by um Collins Collins et al and people people read the book Alan Collins Professor Alan Collins and his colleagues wrote this paper in 1991 about cognitive apprenticeship and wh- what John's done he asked loads of teachers in his school to do to talk about how the ideas relate to their subject and it's basically about how you make thinking visible. That's the kind of the, the simple way. How, how do I think? So he's got chapters like making thinking visible in biology, making thinking visible in history, and then in music, in physics, in science, in languages, in psychology, in, in media studies. And it's so interesting because these teachers are saying, this is how we get people to think like a musician or how to think like a chemist or think like um, an art teach, an artist in our discipline. And I love I love the whole spirit of the book where it's not just John authoring it. He's he's collaborated with his with his team. He's got 23 different people written in the book. It's, it's great. Wow. So I love it. I, I think it's really, really fascinating. And um, it brings the, the ideas. The ideas that from Alan Collins and his colleagues are really, really simple. The kind of my structure of four types of things you need to do in order to understand how to think. In a, in a discipline and he, there's a kind of structure so people i think people get a lot from it it's really really clever um and it makes you realize how much we take for granted in our understanding of things that that we sort of hide from students and the more we can be really obvious about it this is how i this is what i'm thinking now then i do this and i do this one of my favorite chapters is the food tech <laughs> how do i think like a chef you know how do i know that the consistency is right for this type of this source or something how do I get to that knowledge where I know that that's about right? And it really explores that. It's really, really fascinating. So they are top tip. I bet Ollie's had a field day with that book. I, <laughs> I bet Ollie has been drawing. Oliver Cavignoli, yeah, he has. He's done some, he's done each, each section starts with um, a set of graphics which kind of illustrate um illustrate them and um, so they are they are quite good i mean they they're, they're, he hasn't done lo- lo- lots and lots but some they are they're, they're lovely i'll be fascinated with that because at my old school for every subject that we taught at primary we would start with 
think like a so how does a geographer think you know we're going to be doing science today so we need to think like a scientist think like a historian i will be absolutely delighted when that comes out i shall be having that on my shelf Tom. yeah <laughs> oh funny so there's, there's so many things to read about so this brings us our, 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 our next little section here so we're taking account of everything that you're reading and, and thinking about and being asked uh, what, what kind of advice are you giving to people? What, what's your big advice for teachers right now? Um, well, obviously, I'm in primary. Um, and I think a lot of primary teachers and the families that they're working with are uh, speaking to somebody this morning, to Sam Strickland, and he described it as hitting the runner's wall. Um, a lot of primary uh, are finding that actually remote delivery and extended periods of screen time for very young learners is exhausting and unsustainable so the advice that I'm sort of giving to teachers in primary and to anybody who's working with very young children is to start to integrate far more non-screen based activities because families are finding it difficult, the children are finding it difficult, the teachers are finding it difficult, not only to kind of deliver the resources through the living teaching in a way through the screen, which is accessible, but also it kind of goes against a lot of what we know about what's great teaching for very young learners. So it's kind of freeing people from the handcuffs, the, the, the digital handcuffs to say, the work and the activities that you can set for younger learners at home doesn't necessarily need to be this kind of strange fidelity to the keyboard, to the laptop. And I know a lot of schools are starting to do kind of non-screen Wednesdays or no no, no tech Fridays, um, which is music to my ears because actually when you're working with very young children, you don't train and learn about how to teach very young children and hear the words, sit them in front of a screen for six hours a day. It just doesn't happen. It's just not good practice in child development. So actually my advice to schools is go with your professional knowledge now about what we know is actually best teaching and learning for younger children and really look at that blend and that diet that we're giving to our younger learners and try and get yes some online delivery yes some kind of well-being check-ins and calls but also a lot more things away from the screen um, because that's that's what the children need they're exhausted that's what the teachers know is best for younger children and also for families trying to juggle multiple children small children trying to get them on their bottom in front of a screen for hours on end it's just not working so it's kind of <laughs> Have the professional confidence to go with what you know is the advice that I'm giving at the moment. That sounds sensible. And you don't want every, everything a child does to be uploaded, do you? I mean, you know, to show the teachers, like, you don't need, you don't need to see it all. No, absolutely <laughs> I, not. I really feel for these teachers who are just in the inboxes filled it, filling up with photos of, like, everything. <laughs> like, oh, my God, you can't, you can't process it all. But yeah. I tell you, the thing I'm focusing with for teachers is, is – it's cold calling, and it's so hilarious. It's, I think the thing with the, the remote learning, it's really crystallised for me just how how embedded some people's habits are around asking questions like, which start with, does anyone? And <laughs> does anyone know if? Can everybody? Can everybody see the screen now? Is can can can, can everybody see what I've just um, shared? Does anybody know what we did last week? It's like these questions are disastrous. Because <laughs> as soon as you hear, does anyone, you just think, well, it doesn't mean me. So yeah. someone else will answer. And 
I've seen like video clips of people almost as jokes sort of saying, can anyone um, see this? Can anyone, can everybody hear me now? Can everyone hear me now? And it's just a sea of like people who you can't even see. So <laughs> carpooling, there's this whole repertoire. And, and I talking to Doug help with this. Cold crawling has this whole dynamic of warm inclusivity. And I think people need to see it in that way. Um, and it's got lots of different forms of it. So this is why I'm thinking cold calling needs to be explored extensively. And people, I, I'm encouraging people to try out different ways. So one, one, one of the ways is just the standard um, ask the class a question, you know, what's 11, 12? And then, Michael, what do you think? That's the first one. But the next one is a batched cold calling. And I think this is really, really interesting because this is what people do in meetings. If you're in a meeting and someone's chairing it well, they'll see that lots of people are kind of want to speak, but they also want to make sure everybody has a, has a say. So they'll say, okay, so we've discussed this issue. I'm just going to get, I just want to get comments from Michael, then Mo, and then um, Safia. And, and when, you know, Safia knows she's, she's going to be spoken to in a minute. It's great. So she gets ready, Michael, the, the, and then that batches it up, and you, those three people know they're about to speak. And if you vary that around, and that's a form of cold calling, I think is really clever. Like it's it's sort of organising the, the the responses, and other people will obviously have to listen and, and maybe respond. And and the last one is pre-calling, and this is a really clever one. Like I'm about, about to show you the video, or I'm going to read this story to you, and Jessica, I want you to tell us the main thing that happens. Okay, so you'll be, and so Jessica's all the way through, we're ready to tell. She's got loads of time to get ready. But what it does is it, it gives everyone this feeling that, oh, that could be me, I might be asked later. So lots of different ways of making it seem accessible to people. And I've got one more, sorry to go on. My last one is, and I got this from, from the Teach Like a Champion webinar I went on, which is a kind of affirmative cold call. So one of the reasons why kids find uh, answering in class difficult because they don't know if they're going to be right and so they're worried about being wrong but if in the chat on on an online or through the work you've seen them do something good you tell them the reason you're asking them is because they're right so you say oh michael that's brilliant that's a great answer do you want to just tell us why you put that and he already knows he's right so he's feeling good so he says oh i put it because but if you just said to him michael what's your answer he's thinking oh I don't want to say it because I might be wrong. But if he already knows he's right, that, that dissipates. So these things are all different ways of exploring the selection of students to answer, and they, which, which bring them all in. And I, I just think teachers need to really embrace that if they don't already. Definitely. And it's interesting, it goes back to Doug as well, because he was saying about the assessment part and the, the engagement part being the hardest thing to do remotely and that it's kind of shone a light on all of the little kind of tips and tricks and nuanced things that you've just mentioned that we do in a room but we're we're struggling to replicate them online because we're we've got this kind of rather blunt bit of digital technology in front of us so I, it's reassuring to know that we already have the skills and we already use them it's just translating them through our digital platforms yeah. now isn't it Definitely. Definitely. The last thing is, is then what about your last tip for school leaders, school leaders listening in? You know, what's your what's your main thing you're going to say if you're a school leader? Apart from go down and have a lie down in a dark room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have a lie down. Have a lie down. <laughs> lie down in a dark room yeah. with a damp flannel over your eyes. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, 
give yourself <laughs> give yourself some, uh, uh, some time out yeah apart from that though I really feel for for school leaders at the moment because of the lack of strategic thinking that they are enabled to do at the moment. You know, every single time they think that there's something that they might be able to take a bit of steer on something, something else comes comes in their path. Um, And whatever they're wrangling with, also the staff are wrangling with. And I think it's, it's probably the moment to actually step back and think about staff well-being and leadership well-being and actually really prioritizing that we can do like you say September's kind of a long way off but there are people wrangling with with things day to day and I just see so many leaders at the moment hitting the wall and the advice would be to the leaders is to remember that the teachers and the leaders in the school are the most precious resource the children have Um, and there is only so much that we can can give so many long days we can work so many weekends we can give up to think to do things and it's just that common sense message of if you're not present and the teachers aren't present because they're burnt out completely then that's what's ultimately not going to be um, the best thing for the children so it's a really simple straightforward message of prioritizing leadership well-being and staff well-being so that we don't burn out these are completely unprecedented ways of working let alone kind of the hours that we're working just the mediums that we're working in and learning is hard and learning is difficult and learning is tiring and we're all learning as a profession at a rate which we never ever did before so my leadership advice would just be to say to to prioritize your own well-being and that of your staff um because without without the leadership teams without the staff teams then we haven't got anything <laughs> that would be it basically. That's to do with all sorts of things like uh, communication and stuff but i, I think it, fundamentally it comes down to work though doesn't it i mean it well-being things which to do with you know cake and sort of all that kind of stuff which people always go on about they're, they're, they're bells and whistles i mean it's workload primarily isn't it workload expectations yeah and it's i think leadership leaders are also feeling the pressure from parents who are you know they're in an impossible position where some parents are demanding that the children have more and then on the other side parents are demanding that children have less so they're in this kind of impossible position but it's just um it's about trying to to manage the expect the workload expectations of your staff and of yourself there is only so much that that you can do especially when you can't control the big things that are coming in um you know last minute u-turns great big changes um, but I just see so many leaders who are depleted at the moment, emotionally depleted, physically depleted, mentally depleted. Yeah. And now's the time to, to, to not try to keep on running at full tilt is actually just to say we're doing the best we can do at the moment. And we need to retain some of this energy because this is a very long haul this term. Yeah, I, I suppose to me, it, it's 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 I mean because that's obviously a, a main thing but when I'm talking to people I'm finding that the, the thing I'm, I think people need to do is a bit like with the whole issue of CPD is use this time to sort of like get through it and then plan plan for September and one of those things is around the curriculum and I, it's I, I'm interested people talk about lost learning and kids who've had remote learning losing it I actually think the best thing to do there is to almost to focus on on developing the agency a bit like you're talking about families at home with their young children you have to develop the agency of people with in in homes to see themselves through it 
because they can't rely on you to deliver all of it. And that's true with secondary students as well. So if I'm teaching a class which I only see sporadically and I can't talk to them directly the whole time, I'm going to develop their agency by saying, look, here's the stuff we're covering. Here's the resources. You should know all of this. You should have done all of those tasks and give them the agency to say, right, have I done them? Do I know it? So that you're... And, and in a way, that's for some students, it's going to be really a powerful learning thing for them that I can do things. If I'm giving a list of tasks and the things to learn, I can learn them. I can study things. I'm not totally dependent on the teacher and to almost embrace that. But the, but it requires you sort of seeing beyond like week to week and saying, say, by half term, by Easter, what should they have covered? And, and being really clear about the goals so that students themselves or the families of younger children can kind of self-reflect on that. Um, and I, I think that's, that. I call it go long, you know, <laughs> rather than worrying about what I'm doing next week and today, I, it's like, what am I hoping to get to by the end? Yeah. Because I can't I can't be certain to deliver all of it myself. And that, that's the main thing. And the other thing I'd say is, <laughs> if, if you're about to start, because this, this is something asked me this last week, they said, um, if you're designing a lesson observation form, what would you oh, put God. So I was just saying, don't, you know, don't, please don't, don't, especially for online learning, but just anyway, like stop thinking about the pro forma. Think about the whole process, the culture, everything. The form, you know, could be a blank piece of paper for all I care. Anyway, so look, there's loads of stuff going on. As always, it's just an amazing time that we're doing this sort of program. I hope people listening in enjoy these, these things. Our next guest is the one and only, the mighty Sam Strickland. Who's over my shoulder. And he is, yeah. So we're very excited about talking to Sam. He's um, uh, uh, an inspirational head teacher and uh, walks the talk and can't wait to talk to him. So that's going to be great. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Come back to us again on Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe. We enjoy uh, your company and we look forward to, to talking to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to Mind the Gap. We hope you enjoyed hearing what's on our minds today. For much more great content, make sure to check out the video version of our show, which includes additional segments and features. Visit edcircuit.com or go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Mind the Gap with Tom and Emma. See you next time.